In this episode, we talk about how we're thinking about reallocating marketing and sales resources here at Less Annoying CRM. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Uh, not much. I've, uh, well, I'm not having as good of a time as you. I think Rick is doing his first on-air drinking of alcohol we've ever had before. That is not true. Having a beer? We've had a beer before on. I've never, no, 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 no. I don't Now I'm going to put it away. I'm not going to do that. No, you can. Break the seal, man. Seems bad. We'll see if you become a better podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't take much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are we are uh, end of the day here. So Rick's having a, a little happy hour. Um, cool. Some anyway, Utah yeah. Beer. Some Utah beer. What, what is it? We don't have to worry about it is what I'm saying. Low alcohol uh, percentage. Oh, low alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think our, our episode last week or, or uh, two weeks ago resonated with people. Did you did anyone reach out to you about that? The episode? Um, no, actually, but I saw all the people who reached out to you. Yeah, a bunch did. Um, I think talking about how hard marketing is, I think a lot of people are experiencing that. Um, a bunch of people reach out with some with thoughts and ideas and stuff, and some just being like, "Yeah, it's shitty, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. A lot of people are struggling with marketing right now. I think. Yeah, it's like I mean, if it were easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. Um, despite that, Less Knowing Serum just had one of our best growth months ever. Why? Um, Tell what happened. Yeah. Unfortunately, that that's the problem. <laughs> I wish I could be like, we solved all our growth problems and it's all gone. What, what really happened is our largest customer added 150 new users. Um, that's awesome. So yes, that's very awesome. It's great for revenue. It's not in any way repeatable. It's not like, oh, we cracked the code. Let's just have that account add 150 users every month from now on. Um, it, it was an okay month, even aside from that. It was it was would have been one of, one of our better months of the year, but that really put it over the top. That's awesome. You're going to get addicted to large accounts, and it's going to happen. Ten years I from get now, it, man. you're going to be like, I really like these thousand person companies we serve. Yeah, um, I get. I don't. I don't think we're going to. I feel very confident that we're disciplined enough to not like lose focus on our you know small business being our main focus, but. You know, you hear the term expansion revenue all the time, meaning like your current customers add, in our case, they would have to add users, but one way or another, like their, their revenue you make from them increases. And we effectively have none with the exception of this one-time event, like on average in a given month, I think like 200 users get added to existing accounts and 200 users get removed. And we basically just break even. And yeah, I can see why you can have a pretty mediocre month, but with like a little expansion revenue, it turns into a good month. I can see why people really like that. Man, this was, you have to have a business that grows, a product that grows with the business at people keeping same benefits. We were, we, we had that, we would, we would sign up a five person startup and then they grow to a hundred employees like Cameo. Cameo was a customer. Really? That's, oh, that's a cool. huge customer, right? Like, yeah. But they hit hundred employees and they're like, oh, we need group health insurance. <laughs> mm. And they peace out. Although that's, I don't think that's like necessarily a problem. No, 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 not not a problem. It's just like, I, you know, but like if our business could like could keep, keep growing, I with them. keep growing with that client. Like it's just, man, it, marketing. You don't have to do it. Speaking of marketing, you don't have to do it. You just grow right, your customers. Right. 
Yeah, something. I, there's different types of expansion revenue. I, I I really like the like Tuple is a company. I mean, everything about Tuple I'm jealous of, but they're a company where they have tons of expansion revenue. You can hear about it on the Art of Product podcast, but they do video calls basically between two to four people, as I understand it. So like with Less Knowing CRM, as the company grows, the the way people use the product radically changes. So it's like you can't really serve both audiences well. I'm really jealous of products that not only have expansion revenue, but where it's still like small subsets of people using it or like a solo player using it on their own, you know? The complexity of the product doesn't increase. Yeah. The more people who use it. Like that is awesome. <sighs> Amazing. Yeah. That's actually interesting. Like as I think about business models, like looking for a business model that has the potential to grow with an organization, but doesn't get harder to deliver. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. Cause this, um, this one, we have like our, our biggest account is five times the size of our next biggest probably. Uh, while, so they added 150 users this month and then shortly after it, they were like, so it's taking 30 seconds to load this page. And we were like, excuse me, they had added thousands of, pipeline items so like a lead basically to one contact and we were like why are you doing that and they're like we have 300 customer service reps a lot of data is going to get entered and it was like uh, it's still a little weird it was all on one contact but we had to scramble this week to fix it for him and yeah that's uh, that's the part of a big customer i don't like <laughs> and are they paying you more than 10, 50, your base price or are they paying it's your the, base it's price? the base price yeah um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of bigger accounts expect like a discount. The normal model is like, okay, we have our cheap plan and then we have like our middle plan and then the enterprise plan and you sell the enterprise plan, but then you discount it heavily, probably down to about what the middle plan is. So a lot of times when you talk to bigger customers, they're like, well, we expect a discount. And it's like, well, pretend we charged you 50 bucks a month and discounted it down. <laughs> That's not how Salesforce charges. They like the more you want, like the bigger you are, you pay more. Well, but then they discount. They do? You, pay, you, you go up to a higher tier, but then you negotiate with the sales rep. I'm, I'm oh. pretty sure Salesforce discounts pretty heavily. Interesting. That's just how enterprise sales works. Anyway, what's going on with you? Um, well, I just uh, shout out to JD. He's doing an awesome job. Um, I just really enjoy my time with him. And I, he, he, JD's my partner for those, for anyone who's not familiar with him. And uh, he, he's running leg up health day to day. And he's just doing an awesome job. Like he's cool. he's keeping a clear head. He's doing the right things. He's keeping. Uh, he's got a good cadence of updating me. Sends me a weekly update every week. Um, we started this um, so every week I, I get a weekly update, um, which is great. Uh, but every other week now we've he started creating a forecast for where we're gonna where he thinks we're gonna end the year, and so it's super interesting to see his bottoms up build of like. I think we're going to end up with this many clients by the end of the year. Hmm. And right was now, that, was that his idea or did you ask for that report? I don't remember. Um, I think we, uh, the way he's doing it was his, is his idea. I did ask him like a question, like how many do you think clients do you think we're going to hmm. have by the end of the year? It's like, are we on track or, you know, what's going on? Um, and so it sort of evolved into this uh, biweekly forecasting effort, but it's really cool. We're like forecasting 100 and something, 160 something clients right now, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's real. That's awesome. So you're forecasting that. Does that mean like you're on track for that or just? Yeah. Like, it's like what we believe we'll end with 
this year based like, on all the information we have. It's hard for you because it's not like you grow evenly throughout the year. You have open enrollment period, which is November and December when most of your growth will come then. It's got to be hard to forecast what's going to happen then. Oh, a thousand percent. And so it's a lot of it's, you know, uh, you know, a guess, like that's what forecasting yeah. is. Right. And, um, but he's updating it. I think what, what's, what is good is it's, it's getting updated every week. And so as he's getting more confident about certain assumptions based on conversations he's having or numbers going up, you know, he can validate that if he's getting less confident, he can, you know, adjust the, the assumption down for that. And so it's, it's, you know, we, we're going to learn a lot this fourth quarter. Um, I had lunch with, uh, this is a, a some, I'll, I digress for a second, but like the, the, I had lunch with a, a former member of my old CEO group. This guy, um, ran a company, sold it for a lot of money. Um, he was like the one, he was like the one person in our CEO group that actually like succeeded at what <laughs> they were trying to do. There's like, always one. Yeah. There's always <laughs> one, one out of five. Um, and I shouldn't say we didn't all succeed, but like he had the largest outcome of everyone. Um, and he, um, he, he was asking me like, you know, is money holding you back? Should you, should, you know, do you, do you need to take investors right now? Like, is that, mm. cause I was oscillating between do I, do I bring more people on and try to get more done or, you know, do we just execute what we have? And one of the questions he asked me was, um, is money holding you back? And I, I don't think it is. And so what with that sort of mentality, I'm going, Oh, in that case, we don't need to add any more people. We just need to execute. And this fourth quarter is a learning opportunity. And so we're going to do the best we can with what we got. I keep oscillating back and forth between more research yeah. and data focus, but like it's, it's, it's my, my current plan right now is like, let's, let's, let's execute as best, the best we can with the resources we have. Um, let's do as like, let's be as thoughtful and, and, and unthoughtful at the same time, like about how we spend our time. And uh, we're going to learn whether we were good at forecasting, we're going to learn, you know, how many, clients what we have what works to get clients during open enrollment what doesn't um but this is gonna be our first real like big bang like seasonal marketing yeah. push yeah cool and the nice thing is there's always the next year like you don't have to make the business all in this open enrollment you just have to move the ball forward meaningfully so that next year you can do even better yep we have to learn and we also we do want to grow like uh if we didn't break a hundred clients by the end of this year, that would be pretty demoralizing. I think unless what we you, had, what are you at right now? Six, uh, 57, 58, okay. something like that. Um, and are you growing like in a non open enrollment month? Are you kind of consistently growing or like a every once in a while? A couple of months. Month. Okay. Yeah. This, this, we'll have some fascinating podcasts, uh, come November, I guess. <laughs> Well, that's what we were talking. Well, I wanted to share. So, one of the things that we we recently invested in was the Chamber strategy. Um, it's paying off. Some learning so far is Chamber members are actually pretty great for us because they're both consumer and employer leads because they're business mm -hmm. members. Yeah. Um, so that was unexpected. The other uh, thing that's happening is that a lot of other service providers who are trying to target our same customer are members, and the. They're not competitors necessarily. There are some like competitors, but most of the people who are members of the chamber are trying to serve the our, our target customers in a different way. And so they're potential partners. And so lots of referral partnership conversations are happening out of this. And then uh, JD's already 
created uh, gotten commitments from about half of them to let us do a virtual lunch and learn uh, during open enrollment about how to buy health insurance with the companies that like, like with the, the, cha- the chamber or, would market a the session, chamber would like okay gotcha. uh, a, a, like basically a a leg up health uh, sp- sponsored session yeah. on how to think about health insurance as a small business owner which is pretty cool. great yeah that's awesome uh, and so uh, all in all we got about seven I think we joined eight I, I, I'm gonna get these numbers rough roughly and if anyone wants to check these I can confirm them but like roughly I think we spent we're spending around three to four thousand dollars total to join anywhere between I think it's eight to ten chambers we're getting seven thousand contacts with email addresses business name it's the business owner um, phone number um, we're getting affinity um, so one of the like if you think about like persuasion in general like there's like I, some guy wrote a book that said they're like like seven key influential factors. I don't know what the, I can't remember all seven, but one of them is affinity, like shared affinity for something, mm-hmm. um, being part, being part of the same group. And so now we have, we're part of the same group with 7,000 people who we have their contact information for. Yeah. This is I'll like start- why, like the classic old business guy is at a country club or whatever. So you can be like, Oh, we're the same country club. Like yeah, we drink the me. same wine. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we eat at the same buffet. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so that, so, so, um, Anyway, I, it feels good. The, the the other thing that has happened is that you, you remember when we had this conversation, like, should we go one or should we go all? I'm very happy we did all because one of them is like outperforming the all of them, and hmm. it's one chamber, and they're like, we love you. We get this request all the time. We've tried to have a referral partner in the past for this, but they always under deliver. We also need benefits. Can we be a customer of yours? It's just like they're they're just awesome, yeah. and we would so, never have picked this one if we had picked one. So now that you know, I get that you wouldn't have picked them. Now that you know, I don't know if any listeners are thinking about doing chamber of commerce stuff. Like, could you go back and see these characteristics, or would you have had to join them all? No, to figure it out. We it's would just have like no idea. Your point person there happens to be a good person to talk it, to, or something like the, that. It's the it's the preto effect, like 90, 10, 80, 20 rule where. You don't know, you know, you need to sign up 10 uh, partners, but you don't know which one or two are going to generate 80, 90% of the referral business. And that's what's happening in this case. Yeah. I didn't know which one, but if I could, I would have joined one. <laughs> right. Um, well, great. I'm glad it's working out. Yeah. Can, and good. Uh, I was going to ask you a question. Your first point about like every, everyone is both a consumer and an employer lead. Have you like, do you, do you have the mindset of your individual product is like freemium lead gen for your employer product? Like, is that kind of how you're going into it? We actually have the opposite. Okay. Our individual, our our employer product is freemium for our our individual. That makes sense, I guess. But I guess I mean, like, you have a pretty killer free trial where you're like, hey, employer, you're not sure if this is worth giving to your employees. You use it yourself. Put us to the test. And if you like it, tell your employees about it. A thousand percent. Yes. Or happened. Uh, yes, that's, that's how we got our two, um, that's how we have our two employer customers is the, the owners of the company signed up and they're like, this is great. Can you please do this for my employees? Now they pay us 20 bucks per employee per month to do it for every one of their employees. 20 bucks per employee per month, man. I'm jealous. You can pay us $20 per month if you'd like, and we'll take care of all your employees. No, no, no. That's not... I'm, I'm jealous of the other way. I'm, oh, I thought you are jealous of the I awesome service you to pay me $20. <laughs> 
Oh, I see. I just actually switched to Shelly, my wife's insurance. So even though Less Annoying Serum has group insurance, I'm now on like a big company's insurance. uh, It's better. It is better. (laughs) Spousal coverage is better usually. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she, she works at a university. So like universities are so funny. They, they pay like shit in many ways. They treat everybody like shit. But you get summers off. You have amazing benefits. She has like her own private office that's like four times the size of my office at work. She has all these weird perks and then, you know, doesn't get paid nearly as much as she should. <laughs> but I'll take the that's, insurance. But that's kind of how it works, right? Like, yeah. It's it not, I think, I think nonprofits are very similar where if you work for a large nonprofit, you get paid nothing. But like, hey, you get great health insurance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to distract from your. But update. yeah, the ch- chamber, chamber service is paying off. And then we're starting to get some clarity on what our local marketing blitz should look like. One, th- one thing we don't know is JD's been doing tons of outreach. The appetite to talk about health insurance in July is pretty low. Yeah. But the appetite to talk about health insurance in October and November, we have no idea what it is because we've never done outreach like he's been doing in October, November. And so the, we, we sort of started talking today one thing, so this is a windfall anecdote. One thing I'm learning at windfall is like uh, one, one, one project I'm working on is a uh, how to build our, our prospecting, you know, out for, for our, um, it's called sales development in the uh, SaaS world. But basically people who are full-time prospectors looking through accounts um, that, that are potential customers, making sure you get all the information about them in the CRM. Uh, adding contact information for the people you want to reach out and basically prepping the account for outreach. And then sometimes also doing that outreach. So let me dive into that real quick, just to make sure my terminology is right. So you hear the term SDR all the time. That's sales development rep. That's the person who talks to, who at least gathers the lead and maybe talks to the lead, but then there's someone else who's like the closer. Is that right? Correct. And you can have different um, spectrums of like where the, SDR's job begins and ends, and when the closer usually what's the closer actually called account executive, account executive, um, okay, or sale inside sales representative. It depends on the organization, but sales rep and sales development person. Sales development person is generally prospecting plus outreach, um, plus maybe booking an appointment, and then the uh, a sales rep is you know doing the appointment, doing the pitch, and getting the contract. Signed. Gotcha. Um, in in a consumer business and a small and a, a very small business, usually that's one person doing both. Um, but one of the things I'm learning is I think more about sales development strategies. Um, and you know, a, a, my day job is um, really good sales development organizations. From what I've studied, they they basically have a sales development, a specialized sales development role that is breaking their week into two very important activities. One is prospecting accounts and preparing them for outreach the next week. And the other is doing the outreach on the prospecting that you did last week. And it's very important to do both so that you're always like preparing for outreach and then doing outreach because that's what leads to qualified prospects coming in to the sales org. And what I realized was if you think about our seasonal business, we basically had the month of September to do a ton of prospecting, like preparing mm-hmm. for outreach, and then October to do all the outreach. And so one of the things that JD and I were talking about is if if we did nothing, maybe we should stop doing outreach for now. Right. Maybe we Just should stop doing outreach lead. outside of open enrollment. And we spend like 
nine months out of the year prospecting, like getting our CRM like to the point of where it's like super precise. And then we just like press this button on October 1st and outreach goes out for three months. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a farmer doesn't spend most of their time harvesting. That that just comes at the very end. Yep. And our business due to the seasonality is very different than most businesses that have like the sales development function, which is more of like a week to week cadence. Now, counterpoint to that, we know that a lot of sales cycles require multiple touches. It might be good for a person to have ignored you a few times before the one that matters. That's fair. It's it's called priming the pump, right? Yeah. And if I were to guess, what I'd say is, because people might get annoyed if you're like calling and emailing, I'd be like retargeting type, or I guess just targeting in the first place, because you can just upload that list to Facebook and say, show them ads. They'll see your name everywhere. And then when you call, they'll be like, I feel like I've heard of leg up health before. All right. Exactly. So yeah, you're making me think like if we had, if I could go back and redo the last, so this is a learning that we're having. If I could go back and redo the last six months, I probably wouldn't have JD spend, if he's spending 50, 50 outreach prospecting, I'd probably have him spend 10% outreach, do one touch, Mm -hmm. not multiple. And then 90% prospecting. Um, and then, yeah, it's basically like that one outreach is, hey, do you have any now? If not, we're going to hit you. In. We'll check back in open enrollment. Yeah. Because if you're only getting two new clients a month on average, now you're probably also doing this like multiple touches for later, but in terms of it, you're putting in way more work than it's worth in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what it feels like. Anyway, this interesting learnings, um, but uh yeah, I don't. I don't have much else to update on there. It's just I'm. I'm going back and forth between. Should we invest in more than we're you know more people? Like, should we hire a prospector? Yeah. Or should JD and I just get as much, get more focused and do as much as we can within what we know that works for the rest of the year, and then reboot after we learn. So I don't know the answer. I think the I, I do know the answer, but I don't want to admit it. And that is, we just need to stay focused and. Stop getting distracted by all the ideas we have. Yeah. Yeah. Prove it out before you hire someone to, to do it. Yep. What about you? Tell, what's, going on, what's going on in your world? Um, yeah. So we're, we're rethinking our onboarding flow. And I'm going to do my best to describe this, but this might be like the world's worst radio because it's a very visual thing and I'm going to try to describe it. But Customer onboarding or employee uh, onboarding? Uh, customer onboarding. Um, so we've got, you know, we're, we're kind of like, I've, uh, my next update is going to be like, we're also rethinking just mar- like we're doing a big marketing focus in general this year. And so I've got updates on that, but part of that, it, it's, it's kind of like blending between what does the marketing team do? And by team, I mean one person and what does the product team do, which is an actual team of people. Onboarding is one of the main places these two connect, right? Cause it's product. It's like you write the code for what's the sign up form and then what's the first screen they see and all that. But you're the customer's not using it yet. It's not about making the product good. It's about communicating perceived value because a CRM is not something you can experience value from right away. I'm really jealous of products like uh, like ZipMessage is a good one where you sign up for it, you send a message immediately, you experienced the thing it does. With a CRM, it's like you don't really experience value until you've made a sale that you wouldn't have made without the CRM. Mm. And that takes a long time. So instead, the game is try to communicate the perceived value as quickly as possible because you can't really make them 
experience value until later. So we're working on that. Um, a few, just a few notes on what we're trying uh, in case this is interesting to anybody. So right now it's like we have a sign up form. It's like six fields or something. Some, some we have to have, like what's your email address and password. I guess in theory you could push password off for later. Uh, some are kind of optional, like what industry are you in? Because we use that to customize their account. We A-B tested it. Putting it on the sign-up form does not reduce conversions, so it's fine. Once you sign up, you, you open up the app, and you're in this, what we call the beginner's guide, which is just a series of videos. You can click through to get to the, like you're in the CRM, so you, you can navigate around and go use the CRM, but by default, you're in this video guide. And then the videos kind of tell you what to do, and then you go use the app. That's kind of the flow right now. Um, what we're planning on moving to is breaking the sign-up process into a few steps, which I'm nervous about because like that means more clicking and it takes more time. So that you're contemplating, I just want to fly up high real set, uh, yeah. for a second. There's incremental improvements, like what, which is something you could A-B test. Like, should I add an industry question? Yeah, right. And then there's wholesale. Like, there's wholesale. no, there's like we don't really know if this is better like on a on a micro basis it either is going to work or it's not going to work yeah we can still ab test it but okay. th the way i think like i think this is true of most ab testing scenarios the way i visualize it in my head is like imagine you're like a, a hiker hiking up a mountain every ab test you're you're go you're saying i'm going to look to my left does that go uphill basically and you want to go uphill as far as you can um but then a different strategy is like, I don't know that the peak I'm going towards here is the highest peak in this mountain range. And so sometimes you just got to pick the hiker up and put them somewhere totally different and start hiking from there to try and find a higher peak. Um, so we can still A-B test. You can compare the height of the two relative points, but you're going towards a different peak, I think. Sure. Yep. Sorry if that's so a little over. These are big changes. Yes, they are big. I, I feel great. Everyone I've showed it to, marketing is not this simple, but everyone I've shown it to internally and externally has just been like, whoa, that is like a thousand times like more appealing. So what what is the new way? Yeah. So first of all, it's just redesigned and like uh, Tori, our designer, like we've never really had a good designer before and she's especially good at marketing stuff. Like she has a marketing background, not a design background or not like a product background. So when I set her loose on this type of thing, she's like, Oh, hell yeah. Like, let's go. And she made it look beautiful. Um, well, I want to see this now. Like, is yeah. are there is this live anywhere? Or? Uh, it's not live. No, it'll, it'll probably be a, a month or two before it's live. Oh, man. But so the, the biggest, aside from it looking nice, we, we're breaking the sign up process into four steps instead of one. I already know the objection. It takes longer, yada, yada. But the point is, like, each step, there's this little form that's like, not not little, but like, there's this field that's like, what industry are you? And that's a single step. But then on the side of the page, I'll use this as the example. So when you load the page, it's going to have like a generic, not like a screenshot, but kind of a low fidelity version of one of our pipeline reports that like, you know, you know what I mean? Where like the text, it's not real text. It's just like blocks that look like text kind of, but it'll, it'll convey, this is a report. And as soon as you pick an industry, the whole report's going to like transform to be like the name of the report will change. All the statuses will change to fit whatever industry you're in. So we're trying to market in each step all the things we're doing to make the CRM perfect for them, basically. And then in the next one, they'll select how many users do you have? And we're still figuring that one out. But like, you know, something to convey the value of like, we're going to be perfect for the size of users, you know, you want to be. 
So we're kind of breaking it into steps and really selling each step that way. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I mean, it seems like a good idea. Like, I <laughs> yeah, mean, the, the numbers will, yeah. <laughs> will prove it or not, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, it, it doesn't sound like a bad idea. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to try that. And then the other big thing we're doing is once you get in the app, like I think, so we target low tech people tend to be older people, like the type of person, you know, like you buy a new, I don't know, refrigerator and like it comes with that flimsy piece of paper, like booklet with it. And I assume you would never read that. I would never read that. But like someone reads that instruction manual. Historically, our customers have been the people who would read that instruction manual. Increasingly, uh, people get more tech savvy. Our customers are getting more tech savvy. The flow right now puts them right in this guide, this onboarding thing. And I think most people nowadays, the way they buy software is they're like, I want to click around and I want to come back to this later, maybe, or not come back at all. And so we're just putting them right into the software with much better like blank slate experience so they can click around. And then we've kind of got this thing that's like, it's like an intercom widget almost, but it's going to slide up and be like, hey, when you're ready, here's, here's, the, here's some help. And then they'll minimize it and come back to it later. Uh, so it's, it's more kind of come to this when you want it instead of this is how you onboard. Love it. And so is that, was it, are you using a third-party tool for that widget that pops up? We're not. I don't think the widget itself is going to be very complicated. Uh, like it's not interactive or anything like that, but uh, no, we're not. Cool. So that's a product right there that you could offer your customers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, there, there's a lot more. T- it's actually going to be a pretty big tech, not the widget itself, but there's like this whole thing that slides out. We're building the help site into How, our app. Stuff I think like, like I think um, she asked me what I thought, like, I don't really, it doesn't really matter what I think. The question is, will this be successful or not? And I guess the ultimate question is, how are you going to know if this is going to be successful once you roll it out? Yeah. Well, the good thing is, you know, I'm more anti AB testing than a lot of people. Um, This is one where it's like, you can AB test this easily. It's like, we're just looking at conversion rates. Um, There's probably earlier indicators like, the, the the number I've mentioned this before. The number I really want to make higher is: Do people come back a second time after signing up? That's kind of an early indicator of a conversion. Um, but yeah, the first sign up form. The question is: Do they fill it out to sign up? So visitor to trial conversion rate, and then once they get past that step, it's trial to paid conversion rate. I, I think it'll be very easy to know if this works or not. Cool. I, I great. So yeah, you want to increase. So. You want to increase the number of signups for the traffic that you're getting effectively. Yeah, right. exactly. Cool. At the end of the day, we have to increase our traffic. Like it's just not high enough to like, you can only squeeze so much growth out, but at the same time, if we could have a 10% increase in trial to paid conversion, like that, that buys us a lot of time to figure out the traffic problem. Yeah, this is a, uh, yeah, this is definitely a, uh, increase your runway uh, investment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I've got more marketing stuff. Do you have any other updates or anything you want to talk about or should I just keep going? I mean, no, I mean, you, you heard them from me. I'm, I want to, sp- like, I mean, the only other thing I would say that's somewhat, uh, go on your marketing stuff because most okay. of the stuff I want to <laughs> talk about is like, I just want to spend more time on Legapel that I can't, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so uh, I've got a big one and then a small one. The big one, like I said, kind of growth stuff. So... We've done this consulting engagement with Demand Maven. Again, I still plan on doing a deeper dive into the results, although I'm not sure I'll ever actually get around to it here. But um, one of my takeaways from this, they're they're the marketing consulting firm that's kind of like putting together a growth plan for us. One of my takeaways from it, 
And one of the reasons I was a little bit hopeless about marketing last episode is they're like, A, it's extremely competitive, and B, here's what we recommend you doing, and most of the stuff they recommended we've already tried and failed at. <laughs> so <laughs> a part of me is like, all right, like I'm not as bad at marketing as I thought. Like I'm, I'm more put together. Like I, I would recommend this engagement to someone who's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need a guide. I thought that's what I was. And now I'm like, actually, I think we knew what we were doing a little better than I gave myself credit for, which is a bummer. <laughs> uh, do you feel like you wasted money? I think it was a good bet to place. Like we're placing multiple bets. And I think what was really valuable about it, they so there's kind of two phases to the demand maven thing. One is they do the jobs to be done interviews for customers. This is a type of thing. Anyone could do it for themselves. We could have done it for ourselves, but like it takes a lot of work and I do think there's like skill involved. They did a great job of that. And the insights they pulled out, like, I mean, we'll see how impactful they are, but they seem really good to me. So like, let me give you two examples that really stood out. Number one, I said earlier, the perceived value thing rather than actually receiving value. Um, the main thing that our customers, the, the main like aha moment for them is when they see our customization. Um, and here's how ridiculous, like uh, if, you, if you've used other CRMs, it's so complicated, like Salesforce or HubSpot or something. It's so complicated to customize them. Multiple customers of ours told Demand Maven, we have more customization options than Salesforce does, <laughs> which is obviously completely wrong. But as best we can figure out, Salesforce, it's so hard to understand what you can do that the customers investigated and thought you couldn't do it. And with ours, they go in and it's literally like, you want a field? Make the field. Boom. Move on. And so that's the main moment where they're like, ah, that's what less annoying CRM is. That's why it's for me. And that's why I'm not using Salesforce. So that's great. Like a lot of our onboarding is, is pushing people towards like, go customize, go see the value right away. That was one good insight. Um, another good one. I've always thought, not that I thought, it is true. We have two kind of types of customers who sign up. People who are have never used a CRM and they're switching, like our competition is like non-consumption. It's like Excel or Post-it notes. And then there's people who are like in Salesforce or HubSpot and it's too complicated and they're trying to simplify. And I've always thought like our pitch to the two of them needs to be very different. If you're using Excel, the pitch is you get more power, you close more leads. If you're using Salesforce, the pitch is you close the same number of leads, but it's easier. Or like you can actually use it. It's, it's a sim simplicity pitch. What Demand Maven found is... Every person who finds us, even if it's their first CRM, it's not the first CRM they evaluated. Like we are not at the, the top of any Google search. You never find us first. So by the time they get to us, they've already been convinced of the, uh, the value and they've already seen how complicated other products are. So Demand Maven was like, just simplify your messaging. It is a simplicity pitch for everybody. Like you don't need to worry about whether they've used a CRM before or not, which is really great from a messaging standpoint. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. So there were, I, I think the jobs to be done part of it, I'm, I'm very happy with the other part. It's not that anything was done poorly or whatever. Just like, again, a lot of, a lot of it's just like, <laughs> there's not a huge amount of opportunity in this market. And like, obviously demand maven can't know everything we've tried in the past, but like a lot of the things they suggested, it's like, I'm not saying it couldn't work, but I'm saying we can't do it. Like we have tried and failed. What, what, one thing that is coming to mind for me is that this this um, exercise, you feel it feels like you have more conviction around what you should shouldn't do and what you should do going forward, and that is worth a lot of money. 
Yeah, no, uh, assuming we get it eventually, it's worth a lot of money. <laughs> Time will tell. But so the pivot I'm about to describe is largely we hired Demand Maven. Again, I, I described it as a bet. I was hoping they'd be like, well, what about this channel? This is like wide open. You're perfect for it. Uh, there was nothing like that. So that, you know, we were thinking there was a little bit of despair, like, well, what do we do then? Like, we have to do something. And I mentioned in the last episode, this, the difference between being plateaued at zero MRR versus 300,000 MRR, which is roughly where we are. If you recall that, what I said is at 300,000 MRR, even we're not plateaued, but even if we were, you just need to get a 5% increase in your growth rate and you're you're there. At 0% MRR, you could get a 10,000% increase in growth rate. You're still at zero. So I I don't know if I'm being like overly optimistic or naive here, but the, the plan right now is to go back to all the things that have worked, even though none of them have worked great, and just try to squeeze a little bit more juice out of them. So like we don't have a lot of SEO, but we have some. All the SEO that's ever worked has been bottom of funnel, CRM-focused keywords. Every time we try top of funnel, it has been a huge failure. So we're just like, okay, screw that. Let's not do that. Let's do the stuff that's worked. Let's do optimizing our directory listings, the few PPC channels that are working. Let's see if we can put a little more money into those or whatever. I can talk myself into thinking like, yeah, why wouldn't we be able to squeeze another 5 or 10% out of that? Makes it yes. <laughs> so I love it. What else? Yeah. What, what else? Like what else? More, so you have more conviction about doing the thing, doubling down on the things that are working. Yeah, they're not working like to double the business, but they're working to grow the business. Right. Um. What What else? So I think that pairs with product led growth, which is uh, we've we've already talked, so I won't rehash all of this. But like I always thought, I I, I always acted as though product led growth is just make the product better and. We've recently been focusing on what what actual features will drive traffic to the site. Like that, we've never taken that approach, and I I think that we might get better results that way. It seems reasonable. Um, and then the final thing is, so we've got Alex, who's like we brought him on to be biz dev, and by that I mean our customers are too small to sell one at a time. You can't even a, a relatively large like a five to ten user account, which is above average for us. There's not enough LTV to to make it worth it to cold call them or whatever to do what JD's doing for you. Um, and I should comment: our LTV on a ten user account is higher than what JD's selling, but it's a much much harder sale. Implementing a CRM for a ten person company is not like an individual person buying health insurance. So he kind of the initial attempt at that, you know, eight years ago worked a little like every once in a while an opportunity comes along like th this giant account that just added 150 users that was him um but like mostly he hasn't like there aren't enough leads for him to go after on it just didn't really work properly um so he ended up taking on a lot of other random responsibilities because we didn't have a marketing person at the time he ended up doing a lot of marketing marketing is not really his skill set uh like talking to people and forming relationships is so we're trying to like get all his marketing stuff onto Eunice's plate and that, and she's going to be the one saying, what has worked a little bit? I'm going to go optimize it. And then we're trying to figure out, how do we get Alex just on the phone with people where it's close enough to the money and like building a relationship matters? So that's very vague. I haven't said how we're going to do that, but like reactions. I mean, what you're saying is let's, 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 uh, let's figure out how we can unlock Alex's superpower that we've like basically... Um, 
you basically have frozen with yeah. all these other responsibilities for the last couple of years. Yeah. Now I know you obviously don't know my business as well as I do, but like generically, how would it like, how, how might you, how might I it's do a, that? It's a no brainer. Should you do it? Yes. How should you do it? Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, figure out who can take his responsibilities ASAP. And well, that's easy. Getting, yeah. getting that off his plate's handled, but like, what do we, him, what do we put it, him let on? Him, let him go figure it out. Let him just be himself. Uh, I don't like that approach. What what I mean is like he's great once a once a lead is talking to us, generating the leads. That's marketing's job. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, biz dev to me is it, like when I say when I hear biz dev is um, it's relationships, and so yeah, but with who? Yeah, well, anyone who had like so okay, so that's what you're asking. Yeah, so sorry. who who? Um, so I would just let him loose on whoever the one to many relationships are with people who know a lot of the people that you're trying to get in front of on all your other activities. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I think we, we could rattle them off, but like there's associations, there's, um, other service providers, there's integration partners, there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, a, a long, long list of these people. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know your business like you do, like you said, right. but like it's, it's a one it's go, go develop partnerships. Cool. Yeah. So that's one category. He he's already been the one who's handled that, but like the goal is to get him more time for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the set of partners we have an affiliate program that, like all our marketing stuff, it nothing's been a huge success. But like if you look at it, like ten percent of our revenue comes from affiliates or something. Um, there's media companies. So like we just got rated uh, number one CRM by US News and World Report for the third year in a row. And like not they're not rating us that because they like Alex, but having someone talking to them doesn't hurt, you know, <laughs> uh, there's stuff like that. There's, yeah, like you said, associations, MLM networks, franchise organizations, stuff like that. So that's okay. What you just said is a big part of what we're thinking. The other thing we're thinking is we got that 150 users added on this account and I'm looking at that, like that was nice. <laughs> Can you go talk to our other hundred biggest clients? <laughs> Drive um, Yeah, and and lowering churn, like the the two things that factor into, I hate this term, but net churn, as they say, um, doing that high touch relationship building with our like I don't think a one user account is a it's not worth it to talk to them, but b there's no expansion opportunity. You're starting a customer success team. Exactly. Yep. So, and we're even using that term. So. Customer success is, and then is Alex the right guy for that. What do you think the right person for that is? I think it varies by business, um, but it's someone who is pretty well. You know, it's going to be someone who's it's relationship first, so uh, someone who's able to build the relationship, but then but then tie that relationship into pretty substantial conversations around business impact. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and how, how less annoying CRM is currently like nowhere near the business. Like it's basically like helping the person see that the impact that less annoying CRM could be having versus what it's having today is small. And there's kind of two components to that. One is more usage of the existing product, um, or different usage of the existing product. And then, new products that you're contemplating um, yeah. that haven't been rolled out yet and sort of validating those things. Yeah. Classically, a customer success team would be like upselling and cross-selling. Our only upsell lever right now is more users. 
but reducing churn is still also very valuable. Yes, but there's there's this other bucket though. You want product like growth, but you really don't have anyone who's who's really going into your growing accounts and saying, "What is the thing that you guys are solving with Excel spreadsheets? What is the thing that you're mm. solving with a suboptimal tool?" And there, he could be a like a terrific source for product like growth ideas yeah. that um, you you aren't getting right now. So you said is, you asked, "Is he the right person?" And I think you know uh, probably. You could break anything, customer success, customer service, marketing down into a bunch of different sub-skill sets, and you could find a specialist for each one. The thing he, I think, is fantastic at is creating a champion within a company for us. And I feel like that's a pretty good foothold for customer success, where it's like, this this person who works there, like, like he just went to a, one of these people's wedding in England, <laughs> uh, just some random, you know, <laughs> it's like... People just love them when they when they get to know them, and I feel like getting a champion at every one of these companies would be a pretty good start here. Oh no, I th- yeah. So like, relate like he's going to kill the relationship thing. Yeah, I mean, I I I see. I like that. I did not ex- I did not expect you to say that. Um, it's it's so obvious that like it's it's one of, it's so obvious that it's like why aren't we why aren't you already doing this? Yeah, and we have we have in the past, but we always did it. The problem is we always we our our uh, DNA as a company is much more marketing. Not that we're good at marketing, but like it's much more low touch, scalable stuff, like automated stuff, as opposed to like, well, let's call someone on the phone and see what happens. You know, there's a difference between driving great customer service and then investing in building a relationship. Yeah, and like you guys, I wouldn't say are people. You're not like you have thousands and thousands of customers, but and they have a relationship with your with your software and your product, but they don't have a relationship with your people. Is that accurate? Um, mostly, I mean, yeah. uh, there are some very, very like heavy users of customer service that they know every not customer because of service what person. you're trying to accomplish because of it, what yeah. it's reactive. That's right. Yeah. They, they establish the relationship. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, they're, we've got 3,100 ish users per support rep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, obviously it's not like a company where it's like, Oh, I've got my 50 accounts and that's all I talk to. Dude, these are amazing. Um, these are the more most um, substantial, like very like no brainer, exciting <laughs> redeployments of resources I've heard in a, like years of podcasting with you. So like, cool. this, this is probably <laughs> like the, 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 the the customer success thing. I don't know what else to call it. Is I think a really really good idea. Um, it's a no, it's not even an idea. It's just go. Let's go do it. Like yeah, let's go. Every other yeah. company does it. It's not like yeah. we invented this idea. Yeah, it's so obvious, and it'll just um, feed. It'll feed your product. Like I, I just, I, I, I have really high. I feel really good about that. Cool. Well, thank let's you. I appreciate it. that. I'll, I'll obviously be giving updates on this, but so high level summary. Um, Eunice taking all the marketing stuff off Alex's plate and focusing on improving what works. And and I the term I'm using for this, I think she is going to be a very process driven person like it's it's workflow it's optimization it's turning knobs alex is going to have a concierge focus it's every every relationship's different go out make people feel special and it's mostly split between the partnerships and the customer success so it's great cool he's all he's gonna be awesome at that yeah well thanks for thanks for hearing me out there i'll I'll give updates as we go um and then uh, I'll save this next one for next time. It's not urgent, so let's move on to. I know you got some uh, some other stuff you want to talk about. Yeah, I, I I saw this tweet by Jason Limpkin. Jason Limpkin is the founder of Saster. I'm sure most people are aware of him if if they're on Twitter. But um, he wrote a, a tweet or a LinkedIn post. I don't remember where it was, but he he said something to the tune of like, 
if you're the founder CEO of a, a business with over a million in ARR, it's very likely that you probably already have the best job you'll ever have. <laughs> so like be happy about it and protect it. Like wow. that was the takeaway. And I, 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 it resonated with me. Um, I've been at a, I've been the CEO of a business that is more than a million dollars that I want, like if I were the founder CEO of, like I would never like have let that go. I would have just like, the key is that you weren't the founder. I wasn't the founder. Um, but I wonder if that's, I want to just validate that with you. Like, do you have the, the, can you imagine a better job? No, I mean, I could, the, the thing I struggle with is like, the serving yourself versus serving others. And I think serving yourself is like a much more like lavish lifestyle. Like I could sell the business. I could sell the business right now and never work again. Or I could get, I could take the corner office, which we have like a culture of me not getting the corner off, you know, stuff like that. But that would be a lot less fulfilling. So the only way in which I'd say like, do you want the the most selfish, short-sighted version of it or the most like, I want this to be fulfilling, but it requires sacrifice, but you get to choose. That's the amazing thing about being the founder CEO is like, if, if it's not the best job I'll ever have, it's due to my own lack of creativity. Yep. Yeah. Um, it, how do you think it was it, different by not being the, the founder? I think it's the, well, I just think it's the, what you're saying is you have freedom Yeah. and there's nothing better than that. Right. And I think that's the fundamental point of this is like when you're the founder CEO of a million plus business, you have a lot of freedom, assuming like there's an assumption there that you can control the business. Um, if you, but, if you throw the word bootstrapped in there, I 100% agree. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people who have been, I mean, you, you were this way at, at your last position where it's like, yeah, you're technically the CEO or a high ranking executive or whatever, but if the invest if if you set expectations with investors you can still have a lot of pressure on you I, and there's pressure on me too it's not a low stress job even though it's a great job but yeah agreed everyone out there it's worth it go do it a related little rant here and it's not really a rant cuz i want to be very clear like so i've been a, like i don't really know a job other than being like a leader slash ceo um, I've taken this job at Windfall where I'm the head of my title is head of business operations. And I have like a lot of responsibilities. I love the job. I'm taken really well care of there. Like it's a great job. Nothing bad to say. One thing I'm learning though is not having authority is extremely hard in certain situations. And I've never experienced it before. <laughs> <laughs> and I it it makes me um very careful to ask people to do things mm. that are hard where they don't ha I'm like I if I can't give them the authority to make decisions I don't feel comfortable asking them to take on the project and so I'm much more thoughtful about breaking things down into a task that they can have the authority for and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing but I think it's a good thing a good but thing for you or for them or for, for the company? For, for me as a leader. Mm -hmm. like I I have now felt the pain of what it's like to be asked to do something, but then walk into a situation where it's like, yeah, I don't really like... If I make this... To, in order to get this done, there's this dependency here that this other person owns and has authority for. I can't get this done by the deadline. I got it done. I've got to go convince this other person. This other person doesn't have time for me. There's all these dependencies on that person's time. And it's like, wow, someone just set me up for failure. 
Um, now well, I have the ability to work through this and like go straight to the CEO and be like, Hey, like, can you help me like make this a priority? Nothing I'm working on is not a priority, mm-hmm. but like for people who are working on something that's a priority for them, but not for someone else. Oh my God. What? Like the, that's like the worst thing ever. Like when you've said on Monday, Hey company, this is my priority for the week. And then by Thursday, like Wednesday, you're realizing, Oh shit. I'm blocked. I don't have the ability to get this done. Yeah. Just because I can't make a decision. I mean, I think this is an interesting lens on like everyone knows small businesses in some way move faster or whatever vague term you want to let's say. But I think this is a huge part of it is that a small company, the whole company can sit in a room and someone can say, I want to do this. And the CEO can say, everyone do what needs to be done to make that happen. <laughs> and there's no there's no like it's not that the people aren't political. It's that the the organization does not have room for politics. Exactly. Yeah. And uh maybe that's yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm much more like sensitive now as as I scale like a pelt to like how do I make sure that we don't create jobs that depend on other people's authority for certain things and like how do you design yeah. an org to minimize this and like it's a whole like world. But it's like super painful and like um I think I have asked people to do things without giving them the authority in the past and I'm gonna stop doing that. Good. That's cool. And yeah, every time a company, like a new CEO takes over at Netflix or wherever, and they're like, we're doing a reorg and everyone rolls their eyes, but like, it does matter, right? <laughs> does. There's a reason all the MBAs like to do reorgs all the time. <laughs> well, you're doing a reorg right now. I don't know why yeah, you're being all high and mighty one. about it. No, I, I'm saying <laughs> uh, like a, a friend of mine often says this, he uses the word bureaucracy and, and he always has to say, like, stop and say like, uh, I don't mean that in a bad way. Bureaucracy is oh. necessary at a big company. Like it's not, but it, it can be bad, but it's not, it, it's necessary. Yeah. Well, reorgs are necessary. Like um, you are reorganizing how you're approaching business development and customer success. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. Um, okay. Uh, I just have a couple of rants and shout outs about two terms that, came across my my path. I, both of these are ones I'd heard before, but I was kind of reminded of them. One I've mentioned um, on the podcast before, hollow abstraction. Um, probably I mentioned it recently enough that any regular listener knows what I mean, but, mean, but I just heard a good example of it. Uh, do, do you remember us talking about this term before? Yeah, in the, I remember it in the context of NFTs. Yeah, um, and I think like that's when I often hear it, but it, it comes up all the time. Like, we... You and me obviously think highly of ourselves to be uh, doing this podcast, right? Like we want people to hear us and we want them to think we're smart. And we've even, especially in the early days of the podcast, we would just desperately try to like pull abstract takeaways from every single thing that happened. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot Forcing of- it every yeah, single oh, time. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> I think a lot of thought leader type people end up saying a lot of stupid shit because they want to sound smart. And the, the best way to sound smart is to say something abstract. And good abstraction is smart. Like there's a reason it sounds smart. Um, I, I hope I'm saying his name uh, name correctly. Liran Shapira, who uh, I'll, I'll link to his tweet in the show notes. He's a He, he is talking in the context of uh, Web3 NFT stuff. Um, but I think this is a good point anyway. He gave a really good explanation of what a hollow abstraction is which is that an abstraction is supposed to map to specifics. Um, a good one does. So for example, in our world, actually you, I'm glad you said earlier this podcast, almost what, I, what I'm about to say, a common thing we hear, success isn't about money, it's about freedom. 
I'm sure you've heard that a million times. You said almost that same thing earlier. And we all hear that and nod our heads and we're like, yeah, that sounds right. But that's pretty abstract. Like, what the fuck does that mean? But this is a good abstraction because you can take this and project it onto, well, what does this mean? Well, it means uh, I can decide not, I can decide to go home at five instead of working all night and I will be richer or, or less rich when I retire. That's like a very specific thing that this statement means that I would be happier making less money or whatever, having the freedom to make that decision. And then he gives the example. That's not his example. That's mine. But his example is like, what about another one we've all heard a million times? Information should be free. Have you heard people say that before? Yeah, people say this all the time. And when you hear it, you're like, fuck yeah, information should be free. I'm with it. No, you don't have that reaction. Like, what does that mean? Does it mean if I, and I'm, I'm just parroting his words here. Does it mean if I buy a book on Amazon, I shouldn't have to pay for it? Or like Amazon shouldn't have to pay the intellectual property rights holder? Like what does information should be free mean? And if you ask all these questions, whoever said that would be like, well, no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. And it turns out they didn't mean anything at all. Like <laughs> a hollow abstraction has no point. It just sounds smart. Yep. And so anyway, I think this really applies to the Bitcoin stuff, but just generally, I love this concept. I thought it was really ex explained well. I'm going to link to the tweet. Uh, it's like a, a video clip of him. Anyone how, who, yeah. How ahead. often do you do you think this is happening? Like, do you, I, I don't. Oh, always. I don't spend a ton of time with people who talk like this. So like. It's, Silicon Valley is full of it. Okay. All the, uh, the, the venture capitalists, um, all the TED Talk people, uh, like people who get up on stage and, um, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell and that type of person. There's just full of hollow abstractions, I feel like. Okay. But, but you don't, you don't feel like you recognize this pattern as being common. Um, man, I just, I feel like I'm, I'm so, I, I'm, I'm, I think I, I, I control what I intake and I'm mm -hmm. looking for truth mostly when I'm, reading or writing and and so uh, i don't know maybe i have as a filter that, I, that is really high on this stuff or maybe Who? i'm blind to it and i'm just like who's the myself. author of leaders eat last simon sinek um, simon sinek i feel like he's full of this shit too both him and malcolm gladwell do have a lot of specifics that they map to but like i so simon sinek if you read the title of all of his books you learn a lot and I, I think you get nothing out of reading what's between the covers. <laughs> so, so um, did you? I liked uh, the Infinite Game. Um, I thought there was a lot of interesting. Uh, I haven't tried that there. one. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, the, but but like you, your points made. Like, there's some things that that these guys say, and it's like, no, no, no like that's too simplified. Like, yeah. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Like one thing that's like I see on LinkedIn constantly is, um, leader leadership is about relationships, not results. And I'm just like, no, like <laughs> it's about <laughs> results. <laughs> it's about both. <laughs> things can be about more than one thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Twitter and LinkedIn are just full of these things. Yeah. It's like, and I just, you know, you get all these people liking it. And I'm just like, yeah, like you don't want to work for someone who's going to like, like be really nice to you, but like bankrupt the company. Like, yeah. Right. That's not how it works. <laughs> Life's not that simple. Yeah. yeah. But like um, yeah, oversimplifications, is that what you would call these? Or is it just like... I think like they're related, but oversimplification still has some truth to it. I think a mm. hollow abstraction literally means nothing. <laughs> like you can't drill where down... Where do they come from? I don't like... Where do these... Like where do people come up with these? Is it just like making shit up in their head? Or is it well, like they think they're oversimplifying something, but they just made an error in fact? 
Yeah, well, in the in the Bitcoin space, because that's where I see it mostly these days, there's a ton of like people try to solve problems abstractly without like Bitcoin's not actual or, or crypto's not actually the solution. The, the problem they've identified is real, but then they like try to like come up with this weird twisted logic for how Bitcoin's the solution. So they'll be like, money should be uncensorable and they'll just leave it at that. And then it's like, okay, go on. And there's never a next sentence. It's just like, that's it, you know? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let me move on to my second one. Just did we're you just make up the word uncensorable? Or did you actually see a tweet with that? Oh, I've seen. Well, or money shouldn't be censorable. I've, I've seen that <laughs> that more or less that concept. I don't know if the word was used. Uh, All right, what is what is zucking? The other one is zucking. Um, uh, Akshay, one of our listeners who we've both interacted with uh, quite a bit, he wrote in uh, after last week's or, or last episode to kind of chat about that a little bit. And one thing he referenced this is a term I'd heard, but I'd completely forgotten about zucking Z U C K I N G. And this is the art of that Mark Zuckerberg has perfected. So it's named after Mark Zuckerberg of basically cloning a competitor's product, like building the key features into yours and just like destroying the competitor. Um, so he's done this like over and over to Snapchat, for example, um, you know, building stories into everything. Uh, th- th- there's a bunch of examples. A, I think it's a funny term, but here's why I brought it up, or in, unless you have any reactions immediately. No, no. go ahead. I'm going to hear what, what your interest is. What I brought it up, uh, the, the conversation we were having where Zucking came up was about competition. Um, and that, you know, that's kind of what I was talking about last episode. Competition's a thing. Back in the day, you could you didn't have to worry about it. There was so much opportunity in SaaS. You could just build what you're going to build. Don't worry about the competitors. I don't think that's true anymore. But zucking is a specific type of competition. Like every bootstrapper has this nightmare. If someone's going to raise $100 million and build the same thing I do, but they're going to move faster, they're going to build, like, it's just going to be better. How can I compete? That's not what zucking is. Zucking is always worse. Um, It is competing with the worst product with existing distribution, in my opinion. So for example, Slack got zucked by Microsoft Teams. So it's not a... Yeah, and so did Zoom, right? So it's it's a it's like because you, when you think about this competition, you're like, all right, build faster, build more. And I think that like this particular threat is not addressed. It doesn't matter how good your product is. The the example here would be if Paychex really wanted to be a, a like Paychex, the payroll company, wanted to be an awesome like an average goodly good health insurance service mm-hmm. that could be pretty competitively like threatening to like, yeah. health. Why do we use Google Drive instead of Dropbox at Less Annoying Serum? It's because we already pay for Google Drive anyway. Google Drive is better than Dropbox. Let's, oh, no yeah, way. Yes, what? Yes. I would not, not as that file one. storage. That one I, wouldn't meet the definition of zucking. But, but your point just is... Just as a file storage? I love, oh, I love get Google out of Drive. here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, but the, the, the point holds. So like, what do you, how do you avoid zucking? We, I don't think we want to belabor this too much, but I do think it's like... You have to do something that the big competitor wouldn't do that to. Like there are basically monopolists in tech right now. And I think there is no defense if they target you. (laughs) You just have to not be targeted. And one of the ways to do that is to not not do something so meaty that it would be worth it to their bottom line to to do anything about it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Run a crappy business. (laughs) Well, run a run a business that that knows its place in the world. <laughs> you can't bootstrap and be a one hundred billion dollar company. Those those two things don't go hand in hand. It's fair, not in one lifetime. 
Not in one lifetime. Maybe maybe next time. But anyway, that's all I got. Anything else on your mind before you call <laughs> no, it? No. All right. <laughs> um, if you'd like to review uh, past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.